0: Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you, You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Blue Skies Life, a lifestyle brand with high-quality, ethical, and sustainable products. There are products for your mind, body, and home, everything from calming tea and luxurious shea butter to Turkish towels and silk kimonos. The holiday season is upon us, so start getting these one-of-a-kind gifts now. Go to blueskieslife.com, that's B L U S K Y S. L-I-F-E dot com and use code BU20 to get 20% off your order today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome. And if you're back again, thank you for returning to the show. I have a really special guest today. I actually wanted to read the quote that you tweeted So I'm going to start with that, and then I'm going to introduce Terry Tucker, who's my guest. But I was so inspired when I read the quote that you tweeted just today, which is, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it, the more you are going to miss it. For success like happiness cannot be pursued. It must happen. And that was Viktor Frankl. We'll we'll dig into more about why I'm so compelled because we're going to talk about excellence today. And I really do think that excellence is the under, underpinning of why it can't be pursued and it, it just has to happen. Um, but Terry, you arguably are probably the most dynamic guest that I've had on the show. So Terry has been many things in his life, an NCAA Division I college basketball player, a Citadel cadet, a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, an undercover narcotics investigator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I read the book, Never Split the Difference, I have so much respect for what you did during that time, Um, a high school basketball coach. And today he is so much business owner, motivational speaker and author. We're going to talk about his book today. He is also a cancer warrior. Uh, His book, just to put that out there so you can have that because I know that you're going to want to go get it after we talk about it, is Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Living Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. I'm so just thrilled to be able to talk about that. And Terry is hailing today from Colorado. So he's in the mountains and he lives there with his wife and daughter, Wheaton. Um, And I'm just thrilled to to have you here we're also going to talk about your website motivational check where where you help others to find and lead their uncommon extraordinary lives so clearly i can go on and on (laughs) but just thank you so much for coming on the show
1: well thanks for having me des i'm really looking forward to talking to you
0: this is just awesome so You know, I I was really thinking, where do I want to start? Because there's so many places I can start. And one of the things that compelled me the most is learning about your story being diagnosed with cancer. So 2012, so that was quite a few years ago now. We're in 2021, well, the end of 2021. And you've still been on this journey with cancer. So I want to ask you, what has the journey been like and what has it taught you?
1: So there's an old uh, quote from Winston Churchill who was the prime minister of Great Britain during World War II. And and it's a pretty simple quote, but I always love it. It's, when you're going through hell, keep going. Um, It's it's pretty much been going through hell. I mean, in in 2012, I was a a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas and I I had a, a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And initially, I didn't give it a lot of thought. I mean, it, I was a coach. I'm on my feet a lot. So I thought, you know, no big deal. But after a couple of weeks when it didn't heal, uh, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray. And he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. I mean, no blood, no dark spots, nothing that gave either one of us any concern. But he sent it off to pathology to, to be looked at. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until so finally, he just laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma, which most, most of us think is a, you know, we're out in the sun too much and a and, and, and skin disease because of ex- excess exposure to the sun but there's a rarer form which i have which appears on the palm of your hands or the bottom of your feet and just for educational purposes there's, there's an even rarer form that appears in our mucous membrane so in your nose or your mouth but it's still melanoma he said i recommend you go to md anderson in houston and be treated for that and i did you know i i had uh, the tumor excised on the bottom of my foot Had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, my oncologist put me on a drug called interferon. And interferon was just designed to keep the disease from coming back. It was not a cure, but the side effects of interferon were it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week, for five years and that was again not a cure that was just to keep the disease from coming back 2017 I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees which usually is not compatible with being alive and that was a direct result of the toxicity of the interferon so I had to stop that and the cancer immediately came back 2018 I had my left foot amputated 2019, the disease moved up my leg into my shin. I had two more surgeries. And then finally last year I had an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle area that grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse during the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm being treated for now. So on that uplifting story, what great questions do you have next?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you are in the best spirits. And so it's it begs the question, how do you how do you stay in the spirits when there is there is a constant push towards you of a new challenge? And it's your health. It's what your it's your livelihood, right? So people who are listening today where can walk outside And, you know, walk into the grocery store and, you know, you know, we we were wearing a mask and there's that whole thing. But um, there's things that you've enjoyed and they're different now. How do you sustain, which we'll get into excellence in a minute, but even just attitude as these things get thrown at you?
1: So we're we're all going to experience pain in our lives and, and it doesn't have to be cancer pain like mine or even an illness of any kind. You know, you could it could be as simple as, you, you know, you, you flunk a test at school or <coughs> excuse me, you break, you break up with your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you take it and use it to make you a stronger and tougher and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and want to feel sorry for yourself and want people to feel sorry for you? Because those two decisions are a choice. You have a choice of how you want you know, to handle this. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape. I'm a human being. I have bad days. There are days I cry. There are days I get down. There are days that I get depressed. Mm-hmm. I just choose not to stay there for very long. And it, it, it really is a choice of how you want to handle your life. Do you want people to feel sorry for you? Because if you do, there's plenty of people that will, oh, but yeah. you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to grow. You're not going to be moving forward. And I, I always go back to the Shawshank Redemption mo- uh, movie where they talk about, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. If you're not growing, if you're not moving forward, then you're dying. And I don't want to be in that situation. So with whatever time I have left on the face of the earth, and again, I don't know how long that is, but it's probably not very long for me with the tumors that I have in my lungs. I just want to be positive. I want to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much inspiration, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can with whatever time I have left.
0: And it's it's amazing to hear you say that before part of the interview. Terry and I were just talking about that. The, the one thing that we know is our time here is limited. And, and like you said, we have a choice of how we're going to use that time and what we're going to give of our energy to the world. And we could give it negatively or we can choose to give it positively, but it is a choice. And so that that definitely leads me to what, what inspired you to write your book? Which, by the way, if anybody's listening and you have a chance, because I'll put it in the the show notes, um, if you go to te- the, uh, to Terry's Facebook, you could see him unbox the book, which I thought was so cool because it is it is it is such a special moment when you do something of that magnitude to actually have a tangible have the tangible thing there. It's uh it's kind of surreal, I think, uh, at first, but. Tell us about that journey of getting to action. The, before you got to physically hold that book, what was the inspiration for getting there?
1: So the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who had moved to the Colorado area area where my wife and I live. And we had had dinner with her and her fiance. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. She got real quiet for a while. Then she kind of looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then the second one was with a young man in college who reached out to me and said, "You know, what do you think are the things I should learn to not just be successful in my job or in business, but in life overall. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those are not are are not important. They are. They're very important and they shouldn't be ignored. But I wanted to see if I could maybe go a little bit deeper with him, so to speak. So I thought about it for a while. I wrote some notes and that. And eventually I came up with these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles, and I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, you know, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally, I I had my leg amputated in April of 2020, and I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June of 2020. And during that three-month period that I was healing from the amputation, I sat down at the computer every day, and I started to build... Stories and and they're, and they're real life stories. They're they're not you know just something that's made up. They're real life examples of how these principles you know are important in people's lives or manifest themselves in people's lives. And and then I I have this book and you know I was like oh, I've never published a book before. What what do I do? And so I'm like well I gotta sell books. I gotta sell books. I gotta sell books. And I, I had a a best selling business author over in the United Kingdom who I'd connected with who kind of pulled me aside and he said, Terry, you're missing the point. Your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, the books will sell themselves. And I was so glad he did that because I didn't write the book to make money or to get famous or even to get more speaking engagements. I wrote it to try to make a difference in people's lives. And I knew I was kind of on the right track when I had an 87-year-old man who bought the book, read it, and then contacted me out of the blue. And he said... You know, if I would have had those principles when I was younger, I would have had a much better life. So that's pretty much kind of the the journey of sustainable excellence.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And that's, you know what, I say this all the time. And your story just reminded me of why I say this all the time. One person at a time. Yeah, One person at a time. It takes one person reading the book. Being touched by it, being influenced by it, and it—it's a domino effect, you know. At some point, and people get it at the time that they need it, and that's—that's that's what's so magnificent. And just hearing you talk about it, here you are healing, and you decide to use your time to share this knowledge. There's so many things you could have done with that time, and the fact that you poured your heart and your energy into to doing that is amazing. And yeah, yeah
1: I, I mean. I certainly could have sat on the couch and watched Netflix and, you know, ate ice cream all day and, and you know, gotten bigger and stuff like that. But
0: That's a lot of good series. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. But,
1: but you're right. I mean, it's one thing i learned in team sports, you know, and I played, started playing basketball when I was nine. And I played all the way up through college till I was 21. And one thing team sports taught me is the importance of being part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, you know that as part of a team, if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, etc. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And it, it really bothers me when I hear people talk about, you know, it's all about me or, you know, what's in it for me. I think that's the wrong question. The question is, what can we do together? And I think the answer to that question is anything we set our minds to do. But individually, it's it's hard to be, I don't care how, you know, I, I always kind of go back to sports metaphors and things like that. You know, if you're playing tennis, I mean, it's just you. It's you against somebody else. It's not a team sport. I guess it is if you play doubles, but, you know, if you play tennis or you play golf, but there's always, you know, there. if you're playing tennis, there's a coach you know, there may be a nutritionist. There may be, you know, I mean, there's always, there's parents, there, there's people. It's just not you. They, I don't care what, what you do in life, whether it's sports or whether it's business or academics or whatever it is, there's always people there to help you, to support you, you know, to, to lift you up. And, and I always tell people, Des, you'll, you'll probably appreciate this. If I didn't know you, if I'd never met you, but I knew the five people you hung around with the most. I could probably tell you just about everything about you, the type of person that you were. And especially if you're a young person listening to this podcast, if there are people that are in your life that don't have your best interest in, my, in mind, that you know, that aren't willing to tell you the truth, that aren't willing to love you and care about you and want the best for you, get those people out of your life. You do not need those people in your life. Surround yourself with good people that care about you, that want to uplift you, that want the best for you. Because if you do that, I don't care what you do, whether it's a team sport or it's an individual thing in life, you're going to be successful.
0: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And you want people that to be honest with you.
1: And that's Thanks. a big point. You know, when <laughs> you say that, when you want, you know, if, if somebody says to me, hey, Terry, Yeah, you're kind of screwing up here. You know, you're making a big mistake. A lot of times you're like, okay, you're not my friend anymore. You're saying something that I don't want to hear. But no, you need those people in your life who are willing to be brutally honest with you and say, Terry, you're making a huge mistake here. I still love you. I still care about you. I still want what's best for you. But I think you're making a huge mistake. You need those kind of people in your life.
0: Absolutely. Because here's the thing. We can all look at something and see it from different angles. You need those people around you that are going to see the angles and your blind spots that you don't. This isn't a game, a solo game. And that's why I too very much love sports analogies because you're you're not going to win the game alone, you know? And so I I do want to come back to excellence because there's people listening to this podcast right now going, okay, here we are, you know, we're in 2021 going into a new year here very shortly and we're still in this pseudo dynamic unpredictable to some degree environment things are maybe feeling tougher feeling more taxed because you've got limits placed on you or restrictions placed on you terry how how do you achieve excellence like what does that even look like? How can I achieve excellence when I feel limited or I feel restricted or I feel like, you know, if I, if I even try, I might, I, I might not succeed. It's just harder today. What, what do you say to those people?
1: I, I'll, I'll give you a couple of stories, but I'll say one word to you, and, and that's good. It's, it's good that that things are hard. it's good that things are difficult because you don't grow when things are easy you know if it, if it was easy everybody would do it. it's when it's hard that you grow that, that you get to outside that comfort zone and you do something and when you do something successful that gives you confidence and courage to do the next thing that's successful but let me let me kind of back up and give you a couple stories that I think illustrate this and I talk about it a little bit in my book that you know, how do you know what excellence is? And and the answer is, I don't know. You know, it's kind of like beauty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Excellence is the same way. You really can't, you know, I mean, you can say, oh, that person's, you know, the GOAT, the greatest of all times or something like that. But in terms of saying, you know, that person's excellent, that's up to interpretation. You may say somebody's excellent. I'm like, yeah, I don't think they're that good. I think this person's bad. You know, so there's real no concrete way. Excellence is just a process of trying to get better. Let me tell you two stories. First one is uh, about a professor back in the 1950s at Johns Hopkins University, and he conducted an experiment. And this experiment was really simple. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water. And the first time the rats treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as they were about ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. And then he took those same rats and put them back in that same tank of water. And almost to a rat, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. First time, 15 minutes. Oh, that's all I can do. Can't go any farther than 15 minutes. I'm gonna drown. I'm exhausted. Can't go any longer. 15 minutes. Second time, 60 hours. What that says to me is two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We've got to have hope. We've got to have the thoughts that there's gonna be something better, that even when this pandemic's over, things are gonna get better, things are gonna get back to the way they were. We're gonna be a better person for it. So the importance of hope, and number two. How much more our physical bodies are able to give, are able to do? You know, we think, oh, I, you know, I can't do that. You know, I, I don't know if you're a runner or not. I, I used to love to run, but obviously now with one leg, it's a little bit harder. Uh, so I, you know, but you go out, I'm going to go for a five mile run. Ah, three miles. Oh man, I got this pain in my side and I'm tired. I don't think I could do that. Oh, trust me. You can do so <laughs> much more than you thought you could do. So that's the that's kind of the first story. And what dovetails on that story is the Navy SEALs, who are probably one of the toughest groups of individuals in the world. They have what they call their 40% rule. And what that what that 40% rule is, if you're at the end of your rope, you can't go on, you can't do, you know, you can't run another step or do another push up or swim another lap. You're only at 40% of your maximum. And you still have 60% left to give to yourself. So whenever I think, you know, oh, I can't do this or I can't go, I think of those two stories. And it's like, I can do so much more than I ever thought that I could do. And what I've realized is a lot of times the impediments that we face in our lives are the impediments that we impose on ourselves. And if you take those impediments away, knowing you can do so much more, there's nothing you can't accomplish in life. <laughs>
0: I'm sitting here making facial expressions and nodding because I am so in tune and so in sync with you. And you're you're right. One of the reasons at the end of every episode that I do, I say you are your only limit, is because I really believe that you, we we get in our own way, and that you're right about the the mindset and the hope that it takes. The funny thing is, I used to do these physical fitness things where like a Tough mutter, or, you know, like I'm gonna do this 10K, I'm gonna do this half marathon. And it was just a little bit of like being an adrenaline junkie. When I would train for these things, I would be like, yeah, that's good enough for today. But somehow when it was game time, your your mind and your the and it could be a combination of different things, but it won't let you quit. Or at least didn't let me. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert runner, but even in the you know, the limited time that I did those things, even when you're past that halfway point and you're 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 thinking, gosh. Well, And you're doing visioning exercises as you're in that process saying, I am going to see that finish line. And come hell or high water, I'm going to pass it. I will crawl past it if I need to, but I'm going to finish this. And it's the way you talk to yourself. It's the way you think. It's the others that are around you motivating you that in, in practice when you're alone, they weren't there. And all of a sudden you've got that element. But our minds are these incredible Incredible things that can take us to heights that I think we don't even believe sometimes.
1: Yeah, there, there's a there's a former basketball coach in Indiana by named Bobby Knight, and, and he used to say that mental is to physical as four is to one. And you know, I, you know, I always think back on college, and you know, I knew guys that would go out and party the night before a big test, and then they'd come in to the test and they would be like, oh, you know, I stayed out too late last night and I'm partying. I, I'm going to flunk this test. Why would you say that to yourself? You know, I, I mean, I've had so many people through my cancer journey that have come up to me and said, you know, Terry, I, I could never do what you've done. And my response to them, and, and, and it's kind of a flippant response, and, and I'm not necessarily proud of it, but is it, it's like, yeah, you're right. You couldn't because you've already decided that you can't do this. Why would you go into anything, even if you were out partying all night? Why wouldn't you at least go into that exam and be like, you know, and I pretty much paid attention when I was in class and, you know, I'm going to do great on this exam. I mean, if you tell yourself you're going to do bad, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You are going to do bad on this test. But if you tell yourself, I'm going to do great, I paid attention, I know this stuff, you have a much better chance of being successful than these people that are always negative. You know, if you can see something in your, your mind's eye, then you can do it. If you can't see it, there's no way you're going to do it because your mind, again, mental is the physical as four is to one.
0: Oh, that's just that is brilliant. It's brilliant. One of the other things that I love that I read was the four truths that guide your decisions. So I'm going to read them. And there's one that really struck me. So I'd love to talk about it. So these are the four truths. Number one, control your mind or it will control you. We've kind of been talking about that. Number two, embrace the pain and discomfort we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Number three, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And number four, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. It's amazing. What do you tell people who want to quit?
1: Don't. I I mean, life makes it incredibly easy for us to quit, you know, for us to give up. I mean, the least little obstacle in our path, and we're like, oh, no, can't do that. You know, I I always think back, most people have seen the movie Rocky, you know, the original movie. And I always think back to the scene where, Rocky, you know, gets up at four o'clock in the morning and cracks those five raw eggs into a glass, you know, and drinks them down. And I love that scene for a reason, because, first of all, you know, how many people are going to get up at four in the morning to chase their dreams? And, you know, after he turns off the alarm, he turns on the radio. And if you're listening in the background, it's going to be below freezing that day. I mean, how many people are going to go out and chase their dreams in the cold? And then he puts on that gray old beat up, you know, sweatsuit and his black high top basketball shoes to go running. You know, how many people are gonna be like, oh, wait a minute, I don't have the right equipment, I don't have the latest moisture wicking material, I don't have the latest running shoe." So, you know, another excuse to get out. And then, you know, how many he gets out, he goes outside, it's cold, he's all bundled up, and he does some stretching against the building before he starts to run. And how many people would be like, oh, no, you know, it's, it's cold, it's dark. I don't have my running buddy with me. I, you know, I can't possibly chase my dreams, you know, what, what, without my running buddy. But then he starts to run alone in the cold and the dark. And he gets to the stairs of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, you know, 72 stairs up and he's hurting and he's got this pain in his side. And yet he goes up those stairs and, you know, he turns around just as the sun's kind of rising over the city of Philadelphia And he knows that tomorrow he's got to do the same thing, only he's got to get a little bit better. And I look at that. I mean, there's so many reasons along the way for him to quit, for him to give up, for him not to pursue. And I always tell people, don't look at, I've got to get, I've got to do this. I've got to get better at this. I've got to be a better basketball player. Look at it a different way. Break it down. You know, how do you eat the elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. You know, you don't eat the whole elephant at once what if you got 1% better every single day at the end of 30 days, you're 30% better than when you started and getting 1% better is a whole lot easier than saying, I got to get 30% better. So Mm -hmm. break it down into something you can handle. And if you do that again, you can do anything you want in life. As long as you believe you can.
0: You're, you're reminding me of something so simple, which is to, to just get started and don't overthink it. because It's so funny listening to you tell that Rocky story because the first time I ever ran a half marathon, it was an invitation from an aunt that said, hey, do you wanna run the Nike women's half marathon? This was like in 2008. I remember because I bought the, you know, that you like, you want to look cool, like you just did something. So the first thing you do is think of the swag you're going to buy. Yeah. It's just so crazy. Right. And I had no clue about being, I was, a tra- I was on the track team in high school. So I did like more, I did some long distance and things like that. But that was, you know, so I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. I wasn't prepared. I didn't stretch. I didn't train. I go out there where we're going to start. I have no idea where I should even start. I don't even know how fast I can run at this point because I'm not really a runner anymore. Those were like the olden days that I kept doing that. No shot blocks on me to give myself energy. No music. I'm looking around. What are all these people doing? They've got devices. They've got energy things. I'm like, holy crap. I'm going to run totally unequipped and unprepared. And I did. And I, I'm not going to say it was pretty. I'm not going to say I stretched right, uh, gave myself the right energy, pumped myself up right because I had nothing but myself with no music. But I tell you what, the next thing I did after that, it didn't look like the first time. Sometimes things are just messy and you just have to do it to figure out what that 1% shift looks like.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like yeah. that simple, you know? And I think that one of the challenges that I see often, and you probably do too, as you're thinking with different people, is this concept of being perfect or having everything before. it's And, and, and I always appreciate listening to parents. Because parents, you know, even the most prepared ones will read all the books, talk to all the best parents that they know, yet the baby comes and there's a ton of things that they don't know that they just figure out as it's happening. And I think that's just life.
1: Yeah, it it, (laughs) it is. And. You know, it's it's funny. I don't I don't know if you know who Jesse Itzler is. He's a yes, uh, I
0: saw him speak at Lewis House okay. event at so, the Greatness a couple of years ago.
1: has a has a great book out called Living with a Seal, where he invited a Navy SEAL to live with his family for a month to kind of teach them to do more physically than they ever thought their minds could do. And and one of the stories in his book is he said, you know, I, I, I'm part of this team that's going to run this like hundred mile course. And he said, I'm, you know, we have all the latest gear and all the latest goodies and, you know, all the latest food to eat and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And he said, and I look over and, and there's this one guy and he's sitting by himself and he's got a box of crackers
0: and a, <laughs> and a
1: gallon of water. And I'm, he's like, we got everything, you know, we got the latest and greatest, Here's this guy with a box of crackers and a gallon of water sitting in a lawn chair. And that guy was David Goggins, who's a, who was a former Navy SEAL, who eventually is the person who went to live with, yes. with Hitler. And, and I love that story because, you know, it's kind of goes back to the Rocky story. You know, you can have all the latest and greatest or just like yourself. You know, all these people have all this stuff. You didn't have all that stuff and you still managed to go out there and get it done. So don't think because you don't have you don't need all that stuff. You just need this. You got this. It'll take care of this.
0: The very first time I listened to David Goggins and can't hurt me that his book, yeah, I, I listened to it and I like re-listened to parts of it. And it inspired me because his limitlessness from a physical perspective was incredible. These ultra marathons, 150, you know, I just just the the pull-ups and the you know the budge training and all of these things that when you think about it, the first thing you're thinking is impossible. But I, I love how when he talked about all of these seemingly impossible things that he's done physically, that it all came back around to mental. Yeah. Like you just like you just explained which I just think is so cool. So I have to ask you, because, you know, as I was looking at the different things that you've done, I secretly um, am a avid like crime listener, like in a secret life. See, you've actually done certain things. I do them in a dream state. Like, if, vicariously,
1: if, you're doing vicariously if, through other and,
0: people. And That's okay. And I'm, I'm convinced because I'm an entrepreneur and I I love tackling new adventures. That in in another life, when I'm done doing certain entrepreneurial entrepreneurial things that I'm doing now, I'm going to become a junior investigator and solve these crimes. Because one of the things I get super fascinated by is the fact that there's enough crime, which is sad, to listen to every day. I listen, you know, between self I toggle between self-help because I'm just so invigorated by that. But when I, you know, don't want to think too much, but I want to dig into something, it's usually like crime related. (laughs) Like solve this, solve the crimes, is what was it like to be an undercover narcotics investigator and like a a negotiator? So I, I I just think about these situations. Where, you know, like we always use this the expression of like negotiating with the terrorists. It's like negotiating with the terrorists and how difficult that is. Like what, what was it like to do that? And and do you still take away things that you learned at today? Like, do you apply them today?
1: Sure. I, I, I guess I'll I'll sort of start with the negotiator. You know, as as a policeman. 99.9% of what you do is face to face with another human being. you know whether you're giving them a ticket that you pulled them over or you're responding on a radio run that you received you know for a fight or something like that. There, it's always face to face with somebody. And so you can you, you look at visual clues. you know I mean, if you're talking to somebody and they're kind of like you know looking around, maybe they're gonna run on you and, and try to get away. You know if they're sitting there and they're kind of balling up their fists, maybe they want to fight you. And you can do something about it. You can see that and you're like, okay, I can sit him down. I can handcuff him. I can put him in the car. I can do whatever is appropriate for the reason that I'm there. But as negotiators, the person wasn't with us. You know, a lot of times they were blocks away and we were negotiating on a phone or we were, we were negotiating through a locked door. You know, they, they had a, a hostage or something like that. And so we didn't have the visual clues. And we had to figure out what was going on based on what people were saying what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. And one of the most important things you had to learn as a negotiator is you needed to become comfortable with silence. Now think about how many people just in those few seconds were like, okay, what's he going to say? Hurry up, hurry up and say something. We don't like silence. And for us, we used it to our advantage. You know, they would say something and we would just, we wouldn't say anything. And we would just listen because they would get uncomfortable with the silence and then they'd continue talking. Because what we needed to do in many instances is to have them burn off a lot of the emotional energy that they were experiencing. You don't make good decisions when your decisions are based on your emotions. You make good decisions when you're in a rational state. So there were many times where I would talk to somebody and we'd spend two hours over here talking about whatever when the real problem was really over here and we had to burn off that emotional energy in order to get to the point where we were able to rationally talk about the reason that we were here. So you had to get comfortable with just letting silence happen and not trying to fill it yourself. So that was a, that was a big issue. Another big issue. And I think this is important in any relationship, you know, whether it's a, you know, a a boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, Boss, subordinate, or negotiator and hostage taker. It's a relationship. And the whole thing that overarched the, the, this whole negotiation was one word, and that word was trust. And people had to be able to trust you. And there were times people said to me, Look, I'll come out, but I don't want to go to jail when I come out. And you had to say to them, Well, when you come out, you are going to go to jail. But, and then you would try to def- deflect the conversation to something more positive. And the reason we didn't lie to people, we never lied to a person, is that we would potentially be negotiating with this person a year from now or two years from now. And if they thought we lied to them, then that whole issue of trust is out the window. And you'd have to bring in another negotiator to talk to that person because they didn't trust you now. And if they're not going to trust you, they're not going to get to the point where you can rationally talk about coming out. Now, the other side of being a negotiator is about 90% of the time we were successful. I never, I never lost a hostage, but 10% of the time people would say we weren't successful. And 10% of the time, the hostage taker or, the, or the, the barricaded person more than likely ended up killing themselves. But that was their decision. I mean, I did everything I could. I had great training, worked with a psychologist, you know, worked with people who had a lot more experience than I did to get that person out. But in all honesty, it's just not fair to say, you know what, hey, you come in and solve this problem that has been festering for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years and then comes to a head one night at three o'clock in the morning and we're trying to solve it. Again, goes back to what we talked about earlier, choices. It's your choice whether to come out. It's your choice whether to kill yourself. And I always felt bad. When the person did take their life, because there was somebody somewhere that loved them, that cared about them, that wanted them to get out of this situation. Even if it was to go to jail, they were still alive. But, you know, again, it was their choice whether to do that. And and I don't mean to sound cruel, but I never lost any sleep when a person decided they were going to end their life. Because, again, it was their choice to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I see the value and everything that you did during that time in learning a lot of these skills that are challenging in life. You you were doing it in really high pressure and um, high intensity situations, but things like listening and building trust are pervasive, right? Like we can take those and they're ubiquitous and all the different elements that we want to be successful in life, whether they're personal relationships or professional ones. And you were just having to build relationships really, really quickly, you know, um, with people that you didn't know that were strangers. And that's, um, you know, you know, and, and, and I think we can translate that into today's world. We're, 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 we're still doing that today. Maybe it's not in a hostile environment, but we're doing that often, you know, especially as we're trying to make connections virtually like what you and I are doing right now, um, because that's the that's the world we live in. So that oh, I love that tidbit. I just had to ask that because of my little secret passion for um, being a fictitious uh, investigator. Um, <laughs> But I want to be able to dig into questions for my audience to get to know you a little bit better. So my first question for you is, what are three words that best describe you?
1: Uh, Resilient. um, Courageous. And I'm going to say lovable.
0: That's awesome. I love that. That's amazing. Those are three awesome words. Okay. What's something about yourself that you're working on improving?
1: My patience with people who, you know, I told you before, I've I've had people approach me and say, you know, I could never do what you did. And, and those people bother me. I, I, I don't like people that limit themselves. And, and you know, again, it goes back. Why would you even start something if your attitude was, um, I, I'm never going to be successful in this. I, I, I can never do this. Don't waste your time. I'm trying to be better at helping those people realize that you're approaching this the wrong way. And if that's really your attitude, then then really don't waste your time. Don't, don't try to start that because you're never going to be successful and you're probably just going to frustrate yourself, change your attitude, change your outlook to something more positive, And then you might actually have a chance of being successful at what you're doing. So I'm trying to be patient with people who bother me from time to time.
0: <laughs> That's good. Have you ever had a moment in one of those instances? Cause I, I totally get where you're coming from where you've actually said something to someone and they've turned a corner a little bit in the conversation not so much
1: no I, I I remember one time I was this was when I had my my foot amputated and so I was still able to walk after therapy and stuff like that but I kind of walked weird I kind of had a limp and stuff and and I was at the hospital I was leaving and there was a woman down by the doors where I was going and she was like staring really hard at me and as I got closer to her I just turned and looked at her and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I just kept walking. And she got this look on her face like, like she thought it would, you know, like this, really, your legs are your foot's going to grow back. I, I mean, I was being a smart aleck. I shouldn't have done that. But for me, it was just kind of like, man, lady, if you could be staring any harder, I mean, you'd be seeing right through me. So I just, that was what I thought of when I, when I got to her. And so it's like, uh, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I just kept walking. And and I kind of turned around to look at her and she, you know, she was she was thinking about it, like it might really, your foot might really grow back. I'm like, I'm not a <laughs> lizard, it's not coming back. So, you know.
0: It's not, no, no, it's not it's happening. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> you know, but I but I do have to say, I I I love that you said patience and and particularly with this, you know, these people, because it's easier to just not work on yourself, because it doesn't take any effort. You just wake up, do the same thing you did yesterday, and don't put any energy into thinking differently. It takes work to change your mindset, to think differently, and actually pursue your dreams. And so I appreciate that honesty because it takes people like you to fight the good fight, to 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 have more converts, if you will, to to those who are who actually believe in themselves enough to do something about it,
1: you know. Yeah, I mean, we all should do at least one thing every day that that scares us or that we might be embarrassed, you know, by the outcome or something like that. something that's difficult, something that's outside our comfort zone. Because all that does is just give us more ammo, even if it's something small. You know, it's like oh, I don't I don't like you know walking by that house because that dog barks at me all the time. I'm nervous. Go walk by the house. You know, I mean, if it's something we do, because when the big things come, you'll have so much more energy. You'll have so much more ammunition to say, you know, I I did well with that. I did well with that. I did well with that. I do it. And, and, And hey, I can handle this. This is not a problem. So do something every day that you find difficult. And I promise you, you'll have a much better life if you do that.
0: That's great advice. That's great advice. Okay. My next question is, what's a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome?
1: What's a self-limiting belief? That's a great question. Um, So when I would, I I guess I kind of sort of have to answer that with a story. So when I was 15 years old, I had, my first knee surgery. And then about six months later, I had a second knee surgery. And that after that second knee surgery, they took out 25 pieces of my bone that had chipped off. And I was in a cast from my hip to my ankle for the entire summer. And the doctor told me I wouldn't play basketball anymore. So I was 15 years old. The only thing I was really good at was basketball. I mean, I was a good student. I wasn't a great student, but basketball was it for me. So. I had to take that self-limiting, well the doctor said I can't play anymore like no no, I'm not willing to give this up yet. I've got to try to. And back then there was no, you know, here go to physical therapy, go to, I mean my doctor literally handed me a piece of paper with drawings and words to describe the therapy that I should do on my own at home to rehab my leg. And so I did that. And it was, you know, okay, I, and Literally, I when that cast was cut off, my leg looked like something out of a concentration camp. I mean, all the muscles had atrophied. I needed – it took me months. I, I mean, I remember I had the key to the gym or the weight room at our school, our high school, and I left Thanksgiving dinner. After Thanksgiving dinner was over, I went to the gym to work my leg because I, I wasn't willing to give up on my ability to play basketball and – Fortunately, I, I, I was able to overcome that. I finished playing college or high school and actually played in college.
0: That's an incredible story. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being told and seeing what you had in front of you and feeling like you could get through that. And you did. And you left Thanksgiving dinner. That's commitment.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, hey, I had some fun to buy. <laughs> first and then I left you
0: know obviously you needed the energy if you were gonna get that I did
1: I needed some sugar you know
0: yeah (laughs) of course I mean you you had a leg to build back up that's That's right
1: most people go lay on the couch and watch football I'm going to the gym (laughs)
0: exactly yeah that's that's perseverance right there that's real perseverance okay my next question is what is one thing that you want to see changed in the world
1: So one of the things I learned as a negotiator and one of the chapters that I devoted um, to in my book is the importance of listening and not listening to respond, not be, you know, hurry up, Des, say what you're going to say because I'm going to get my two cents in, but listening to understand. Okay, Des, I hear what you're saying. I don't I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, tell me where you're coming from. That's what I think we need to do. Us yelling and screaming at each other when you're yelling at me and I'm yelling at you, we can't hear what each other's saying, and we're not going to get anything accomplished. So I guess I wish more people would take time to listen to the other person, but not listen to respond, but listen to understand.
0: Amen to that. (laughs) If we made that little adjustment, the world would be a Far different place, a far different place. So I'm going to stack my hand on that one for sure. Okay. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given?
1: Part of it goes back to the, the chapter in the book that I talked about is that listen more than you talk. And and I I'm, I'm the first one to tell you I can talk you you've probably figured that out in this podcast I can certainly talk but I'm also a very good listener and 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 I listen to understand I listen to the nuances of how people say things or what they say and I'm pretty good at picking up on that and I think a lot of that is the training I had as a negotiator you know of trying to. Oh, that's you know, that's I know what you. I know what you're trying to tell me, but that's not what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're saying this. And so you have to call people out on that. It's like, so are you, you know, especially I was asked the other day on a podcast about suicide. You know, what would I tell young people and what I would tell them is if you think one of your friends is, is going to commit suicide, ask them, you know, because that was one thing we had to learn as negotiators, you know, saying to somebody who you're negotiating with. Hey, um, are you thinking of killing yourself? Are you thinking of harming yourself? If if the answer is no, they're going to f- fire back on you. It's like, no, you idiot. I, I mean, and that's happened to me. People have said, you know, no, you idiot. I'm no, I'm not thinking about killing myself. Okay, I went down a rabbit hole. Now I got to come back out of that rabbit hole and go somewhere else. But if, if you're not going to, you're not going to put that idea into somebody's head if you ask about it. If you really think one of your friends is going to hurt themselves, ask them. Come right on asking because that may be the opening they need, you know, to just let it flow. And you know, yeah, I am. And I'm thinking about it, and here's why. And and you just and let them talk. And 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 that's so I, I, I guess listen more than you talk would be the answer to your question.
0: Yeah. No, I I, I think it's so it's so important, especially today when it seems that there are many wires being crossed, <laughs> you know, in a lot of the communications that we see in the world that are happening. And I think um, listening, it's, it's fascinating because I've gone through training as well. You know, when you become a, a professional coach and all of these things, there's, there's, there's a lot you actually have to learn. And you realize that you're not a good listener when you learn what good listening looks like. And part of it, and I love this because you talked about this in some of your stories, is cues you know when you're we're fortunate that we have video today and we can still connect with people virtually and and see them but eye contact you know people's demeanor their their posture their you know enthusiasm or lack thereof i mean there's so many other cues and it's like visual listening you know observing that allows you to make interpretations and play back to ask the right questions. I'm observing this. What can you say? You know, so, so somebody can open up and tell you more. But being an active listener is exerting a few different elements of our senses and our functions to be able to really engage and, and bring somebody in. Um, and, and truly, and you've said this, and I, so it's kind of closing the loop, Is if you want to build trust with anyone, you've got to learn how to listen. Period. Yeah,
1: you do. And I mean, I can remember just, I mean, I went through a lot of classes on interviewing and interrogation. And you know, one of the things that we would do, you know, if if we had somebody that you know we thought was molesting a child, and you ask them this question, well, what do you think should happen to somebody that molests a child? And I mean for you and I be like, you know, we should cut off their genitals and throw them in the, you know, that would, that would, what is what a normal person would say. But Mm -hmm. if you were the person who was molesting, you're going to come back with something like, Oh, they, they should probably get some help. And so, you know, and it's like, that's when you kind of know that, yeah, that's the person. Now, now you just got to lead them down the road to tell you that they're the person, but
0: it's you know just
1: different ways of, you know how a normal person would react. I mean, if you were raped, what should happen to this rapist? Oh, they should, you know, and they would get real emotional and indignant. And we should throw the book at them and stuff like that, as opposed to the actual rapist will be like, well, maybe they should get some treatment. And again, body language, you know, their heads down, they're, they're not looking at you. They're not talking to you. You know, they're distancing them themselves from the actual act. That they did.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. But that's, you know, that's, that's so paramount. And it's, it's a great, it's a great piece of advice. And I, this is, this has just been so incredible. I want to ask you, how can people follow your work? So we talked about the website, tell us about that. How, what are the kinds of things that are coming up? Anything that you can say so so people can connect and engage with you even after today?
1: Sure. so I have a, a blog that I started back in 2019 and I, I kind of laugh at it I, I mean when I started it was like four pages long it took me four months to do it I, I didn't know anything about you know starting a blog or putting a blog my daughter could have probably done it in 15 minutes but it took <laughs> four months you know and it, it's called motivational check and and the title came from when I was in the police academy and our defensive tactics instructor that was a phrase that any of us could yell out if we were having a bad day, I don't think I can get through this drill, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the rest of us would would respond with our class number. We were the 84th recruit class just to let that person know, hey, we're all in this together. We're all hurting. We will get through this together. Don't think you're alone. So when I was thinking of a, a title for it, motivational check kind of came to my mind. And, and that's why it's called motivational check. And every day I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought usually comes a question, you know, something for you to think about based on that thought. And then on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a longer story or a video. But the stories and videos are short. I know people's time is at a premium. So if you need a quick hit of inspiration, go to Motivational Check. Uh, My social media sites, uh, links are there. You can get access to my book. You can leave me a note. So MotivationalCheck.com is how you can get to me.
0: That is fantastic. You are absolutely a motivation and an inspiration, and I'm just so grateful for the time that you've given today. I, I'm like, this is just the kind of thing you know that's needed in the morning to be able to fuel your day, and I'm just inspired by your story and everything that you do.
1: Well, Des, thanks for having me on. I I always say that it's nice people like you that that allow me to come on and talk about my story. And hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if we do, today's been a good day.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely been a good day for me. And I know it's been a good day for anybody listening. So thanks everyone for tuning in. And thank you again, Terry, for coming on the show. Thank you go to motivationalcheck.com. That is Terry's website, where he gives daily and regular inspiration. I want to leave you with this quote. He did this on the 1st of November, as we started a new month, which I know we're near the end of that month now, but I really just love this, and it's faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. That was Voltaire. So, if there is one message that you take away from today's interview, of the many that you can, is to believe. Believe in yourself, believe in your dreams, believe in the perseverance and the capabilities that you have. I love Terry's response. When people come to him and ask him about cancer, you psych yourself out the moment you tell yourself you can't. So you have to change that language and that attitude to saying that you can and that you will. One of my favorite jackets that I wear, I picked up from an Oprah event that I went to right before the pandemic. I got my Oprah in before it happened, and it's a jacket and the sleeve says you can and you will. So that, is my simple message for you today. I know that there is so much more that you took away because I know I did. Remember, you are your only limit. So take action today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, rate and review the show. Give a shout out and say what you thought of today's interview with Terry Tucker. I appreciate you so much. Hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving if that is something that you celebrate with your loved ones and that you created many, many memorable moments. Tune in again next time for another inspiring episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast.